What the hell is up? My name is Jamie Logan, and you are listening to Jamie's Corner Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk all things animal rights, veganism, plant-based diets, nutrition, health, wellness, yoga, spirituality, all the good stuff. And I got some of the best guests on in the plant-based industry from chefs to doctors, nutritionists, activists, really great people. They really uh, pioneer this show. So without further ado, let's get into it. Thanks for listening. Please toss us a follow at It's Jamie's Corner Podcast, a YouTube show and podcast. And I'm at JLo Kurtz. And here we go. So guys, we're in the Nomad Plant Burger location, and I am sitting here with the founder, Jonah Goldman. Jonah is a marketing specialist, social entrepreneur, and environmental activist with a background in the food industry, regenerative agriculture, fighting food waste, and today we're going to talk about his company, Plant Burger, a vegan fast food chain based on the East Coast. I'm so excited to get into your journey, your story, how you even went vegan, and then how you connected your passion with, of course, work. And so can you just, for those people, the very few that don't know who you are, just give us a little intro, who you are, what your position is at Plant Burger. Absolutely. Um, And thank you for the flattering introduction. So I'm Jonah Goldman. I am one of the co-founders and the director of marketing at Plant Burger. I, I work to support the stores. I work to create messaging and create a story and a brand that is compelling and resonant and uh, ultimately can shift people towards more plant-based, planet-friendly foods and uh, create a more just and plentiful food system for all. Through Ultimately, through joy. And Americans consume 50 billion hamburgers a year. So this is an incredibly important food for us to focus on Shifting simply from uh, the source of an animal to the source of a plant comes with tremendous resource savings, as you know, and life savings <laughs> and extending the um, lifetime of the planet, I, I might add as well, um, is core to why we do what we do and, uh, and how we accomplish it. It's through deliciousness. It's through a fun and uplifting and ideally an empowering dining experience that brings people back to the impacts their choices have and the fact that your dietary choices really represent the vast majority of your carbon footprint. And so it's a celebration. It's a celebration of life here. That's what it's all about. It really, really is. I mean, everything from your branding, the colors that you have, the food, it just is absolutely delicious and amazing. Uh, We actually recently did a film screening and hosted a lot of people and had the chicken burgers and we had the the beef burgers and people were in awe and they were like this is vegan this is it's crazy so it seems so obvious right that something that is so sustainable something that's better for your health and something that's obviously better for the animals would be the obvious choice right so like why are people still stuck in their ways what do you think it is what's that hurdle and then i want you to talk about how you made the connection and changed your habits yeah terrific question Uh, I think it really, a lot of it has to do with being comfortable, falling into habits. And uh, I'll also note that food is this crucial component of our identities and our physiologies. So people who were brought up eating meat as I was, was brought up eating, you know, steak and burgers and chicken and all of, all of those different animals and animal products become attached to it. And I think that's 
understandable and, uh, and it becomes a part of their culture and it becomes a part of their identity. So when people suggest that there may be some issue with that, it can be really personal and it can really trigger people and, and um, often not in the right direction. Taste is also a really important component that I think people don't want to sacrifice. And when you confront them with the reality that, hey, your taste pleasure is coming at the expense of a sentient creature's entire existence <laughs> and causing unknown suffering and, um, and also causing human issues and, and planetary issues, it triggers a knee-jerk reaction that will often shut people off to the benefits, right? Because for all those reasons that you said, health, the future of the planet, Resource savings, which are so critical in this day and age, it has to be from a place of um, welcoming and positivity rather than critiquing. And I think there also, I will say, there has just been a tremendous campaign on um, the side of the meat and dairy industry to sow doubt and to discredit plant-based foods uh, to the point, and they've been very effective in this messaging campaign. Also, you know, the meat and dairy industry have run propaganda campaigns for decades and decades and decades to the point where it is so deeply embedded not only in our psyche but in the American Dietetic Association and the nutritional standards that we grew up with said that you know you should have meat and dairy as like a very important part of your diet where we now know that these foods are not good for human health they're very clearly linked to dietary illness they're one of the leading causes of heart disease and all these other coronary issues. So clearly that's not the case, that we need to have animal products in order to thrive and be healthy and, and have longevity as well. Um, clearly plant-based foods are a better choice. And I think bringing that to light by congratulating people, and I'll, f I'll focus on this as well, and something we try and do as in, our, in our marketing and our messaging, talking about the fact that this is not a sacrifice. Rather, this is an upgrade. And this is not lessening the things that you have in your world of dietary possibilities. It is just broadening the choices that you can make to include the same foods you know and love from a slightly different source. And by the way, let's explore all these other plants and all these other fungi that we hadn't known about and these spices and flavors that are so rich that we can experiment with and bring together to create even more delicious versions of the classics, right? And we're seeing that more now because I feel like, you know, 10 years ago, there weren't those products and there was maybe that sacrifice in taste mm -hmm. a little bit. But because of brands like Plant Burger, like Beyond Meat and Violife uh, Cheese and Chow and all the different brands we're seeing now, it's like, oh wait, yeah, I'm not sacrificing anything. Yeah, actually, I think it's tastier. You feel better after you eat it. And it was interesting what you were saying about these, you know, advertisements and the meat industry. It almost reminds me of the cigarette companies, you know, 50 years ago. Absolutely. And they actually share a large number of the same tactics. And from lobbying to, uh, to promoting these products as endorsed by doctors, to promoting that you can be manlier or more feminine if you eat these kinds of foods. I mean, they, they really have um, capitalized on, on those same techniques in order to create a disinformation campaign that was effective and swept the nation. And, and, and in a way, it's, um, it goes deeper than that because it's a part of our history and, uh, and, and this connection to ecology that we have does in, involve animals. But we're, what we have to understand is that we're in a fundamentally different place than we were centuries ago. We no longer need to do this. And so... 
we're in a, in a different context and evolution today and adaptation today looks like a transition to plant-based because if we want to continue to survive and live as a species, we simply can't go about factory farming 80 billion animals every year. Um, and, it, and it necessitates the shift. But I want to get back to what I'm excited about in this movement, which is the thing you touched on. These foods have never been so delicious. We are at the peak of culinary innovation. And I think about the wonder, wonderful technological capacity um, for ingenuity that humans have. And we can send people into outer space and we can craft these incredible solutions to any, any kind of problem that we meet. If we applied just a little bit of that effort and technological focus to solving the issue of creating meat alternatives, which we already are in a, in a small way, we would have products that, again, surpass our wildest expectations for texture and flavor and nutrition. And, uh, and so it is really exciting as someone who cares about these issues to see these products advancing so rapidly, becoming tastier and tastier every day. And then for us to be able to have a chef like Chef Spike Mendelson or Chef Mike Coletti, who comes from cooking animal products and, and, and restaurants that dealt in animal products, to be able to lend their culinary expertise of what does that Maillard reaction look like? What does that mouthfeel experience? And how can we create the exact same thing? Or how can we improve on that experience using these new ingredients? It brings new credibility and new flavor and uh, elevated experience to what we do at Plant Burger and in the plant-based movement in general. So that's really exciting. That, and you guys are absolutely doing it. And I think you touched on basically all the reasons that, that are holding people back. It's taste, it's convenience, it's I guess like habit and social pressure. Those are, those are critical. And, uh, and as you said, convenience. And I, I wonder if that's like price parity is the yes. same thing. So price is, is huge because I think that has been another um, maybe idea that the meat and dairy industry and uh, pop culture has promoted is that, well, this it's not realistic to live a plant-based, to have a plant-based diet or to live a vegan lifestyle because meat is so cheap. And yes, meat is cheap because we subsidize it to the tune of billions of dollars every year. It's artificially low price, but despite those, I would argue, corrupt <laughs> government policies and, and efforts from the meat and dairy industry to create a revolving door that continues to sell cheap, toxic animal products to people. The price of meat is still rising. So chicken rose over 20% last year. Um, the price of pork and, and beef is, is going to continue to rise as we continue to see supply, uh, supply chain challenges and as people continue to wrap their minds around the enormous costs of their meat that are hidden by a price tag that again has been subsidized and is artificially low. So the second that we achieve price parity between a delicious plant-based patty and a patty that came out of a cow, I mean, there's no more reason for people to, to stand behind. And I think as we kind of knock out those crutches that people have, well, oh, it's not as nourishing. Well, actually, you know, here, here's the reasons why it's more nourishing and healthier for you. Boom, we take that away. Well, it's, it's more expensive. Actually, it's the same price or cheaper. So we take that crutch away. Well, I heard that, you know, it's not good for the environment. Well, here's an LCA. Here's a life cycle analysis showing all the ways that it benefits the environment with water savings, land savings, emissions savings. So for all those reasons, but particularly the price parity reason, I think there's a lot to look forward to as far as the growth of the plant-based movement 
is, is concerned. Well, when you are looking at the amount of resources it takes to raise a cow to be, you know, a couple thousand pound huge bovine animal, the, the amount of water they drink, the amount of food they eat. I mean, we're feeding over 80 billion animals every single year, yet there's over 900 million starving human beings. We could feed so many more people on a plant-based diet. And, you know, not only that, but the amount of resources it takes to then kill them, store their body parts, mm -hmm. put them on supermarket shelves. And not only that, but the government subsidies that are going to these industries, they're taking our tax dollars, putting out billions and billions of dollars into these horrible industries that are destroying the planet and killing animals. And then they're, they're trying to lower the prices on that when really a head of lettuce should be way cheaper than a burger that you get at Burger King. Oh but right goodness. now that's not the case. However, if you are eating a whole foods, plant-based diet, you can save a lot of money. I, I was in college and people are like, how are you vegan? Like, isn't it so expensive? And I'm like, well, actually, no, my groceries are probably around $20 a week, if that. I'm buying lots of beans, lots of lentils, legumes, lots of fresh seasonal produce, you know? And I think that that's key. I mean, obviously, you, if you go to a fancy steakhouse, you're gonna be spending a lot of money. If you go to a fancy vegan place, you're gonna be spending a lot of money. But it kind of goes back to just these little excuses that people use to stay comfortable in their ways. Yeah, no, but it, it also speaks to another issue that I think is really important, which is human welfare yeah. and, and, and human well-being. It's directly linked to our treatment of animals and natural resources. And, you know, as you said, there's so many inputs here. I say this a lot, or at least I tweeted it at one point. The meat industry is the worst allocation of global resources at the most pivotal moment in human history. It is the, I'll say it again, it is the worst allocation of global resources at the most pivotal moment in human history. And as you said, we have all these people who need basic human services and basic human rights and we're not able to give it to them yet we can somehow provide housing water food health care to 80 billion animals that live at our at our will we artificially inseminate and breed them into existence force them to live in terrible conditions until we exploit their bodies for our consumption when it's so not necessary and meanwhile we have people who need those things and we have all of these crops that we're growing that we aren't feeding to humans there's so much to be said for why we need a better food system that allocates those resources in a more just and equitable manner. And we need to switch from feed to food. There's actually a conference and a, a summit coming up in DC called the um, Food Not Feed Summit, which will speak to these exact same issues of why we need to reallocate resources to focusing on plant-based foods that can nourish humans instead of growing foods that, again, are feeding livestock. And I'll, I'll just say this is because I studied and worked in the worlds of food waste for, for a while. The meat industry is such a wasteful, wasteful industry. It wastes life at a rate that any other industry would just consider horrendous. Yeah, it's barbaric. So, so when you talk about raising a cow, right, obviously you have to create all of the feed and that create that necessitates a ton of water inputs and and farming and fossil fuels have to be burned to run the tractors and to create these plants that feed a cow and the cow has to do its excrement and then you can't use most of the cow 
I mean, put, simply put, like it's fluids and blood that gets drained and wasted. We're not even making use of the animal that we're taking. It, you know, it's 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 life, and there's so much death that happens on these farms. Um, it's around a fifth of factory farmed animals are that are born die before they're able to be slaughtered and used. So, so sick. because they're sick, they're living in squalor, and there isn't nearly the resources and attention given to these individuals to take care of them. So you have a massive loss rate. And those are, again, you're losing life. So from a business perspective, it's foolish. <laughs> but from a humanitarian perspective, it is a crisis. And, uh, and then, of course, if they do make it to the end of their lives, then they are you know, put through this horrible process where they're killed. And, and even in that case, then you have all these other ways that waste and loss is going to occur in the supply chain through distribution and through the storage and uh, and ultimately consumption. Can people don't eat a lot of the meat that they're served as well. So how about the dairy industry? I mean during COVID you were watching these farmers literally dump tons and tons of milk just down the drain because they're given this money to produce a certain amount and if people aren't drinking it or buying it, it just goes to waste. It's tragic and and it's so wrong. Yeah. I mean, I hear you completely, and that only <laughs> scrapes the surface of the atrocities going on in the meat and dairy industries. And it only motivates you to want to do more, to open up more plant burger locations, to advocate and speak the way that you do. So how did you become so passionate about this? Can you bring us back to the trip to the farm sanctuary that you went to? Yeah, absolutely, yes. It's a story that is near and dear to my heart, and um, it all began when I was 10 years old. My father brought me to... Poplar Spring Animal Sanctuary, which is in Poolsville, Maryland, uh, run by some really wonderful, compassionate people. And it was the first time that I had ever interacted with animals. I had seen my friend's dogs, and we never had a pet, and I'd always wondered what it would be like to interact with animals. So as a child, you see things without these blinders on. As adults, we become somewhat desensitized to things like death and violence. Uh, but as children, we're really pure, and we can see how these animals have character. They have a desire and a will to live. They love to be with each other. They love to be outside. They love to interact, and they, they had the most friendly personas, and they greeted us when we showed up, and because people show them love and compassion, they reflect that back to the new visitors, and so when we showed up, we were like flocked with this amazing rooster named George, um, who came up immediately and uh, started to, to kind of guide us around the farm. And the goats came up and started nibbling at our fingers. And the pigs showed up and like the cows, everywhere we went, these animals came up because they trusted us and they knew we weren't a threat to them. They were in a sanctuary environment. So of course they you know, have been treated really well, um, despite having been rescued from factory farming settings. They've been reconditioned to see humans as friends. And that's how it should be. And that was so beautiful. As a 10-year-old, I was like blown away by how much I love to be around animals. Yeah. And uh, when we left the farm, we went back home and along the way we picked up dinner from a restaurant called El Pollo Rico, which is, you know, roasted chicken. And I asked my dad, well, what is the difference between George, who is this amazing rooster that we met and this chicken that we're now eating for dinner and he 
looked at me and he said, well, there's not really a difference. I mean, that animal on the farm had been rescued and this one hadn't been rescued. So as a 10 year old, you're like, wait a minute, you're telling me that we're eat like the, my friend George was a rescue and this one is a victim, but he had the exact same capacity for life and for enjoying life as that other, that, that made no sense to me. And that, um, is really at the, the core of the cognitive dissonance that we as a society have when it comes to meat choices. We all love animals. We never want to cause unnecessary harm to animals. We speak out against abuse when we see it. If you were to run a social experiment, maybe you can do this in the park of like having someone, you know, kicking a dog. I mean, meat eaters will jump at you and say, that is so wrong. Yet they pay for, again, this incredibly cruel and unnecessary system of suffering and death um, for billions of animals. So, uh, so it made me ask, well, how do we live in a world where we all claim to care about animal welfare? We all claim to love animals. Everyone has these pets and uh, would never think of harming these animals, but yet we're all participating in uh, a practice and in, in, in a system that exploits and abuses and slaughters all these animals. It just doesn't make sense when we, when we, we really think about the impacts of our choices. And so that kind of immediately forced me into this uh, really aggravated mindset. So I was a very angsty child and I had a lot of anger. Um, and I studied food systems and I studied factory farming as a 10 year old. And when you watch a video of what happens in a factory farm as a 10 year old, it traumatizes you. Oh, yeah. And it shows you that we are living in a really tough time because hypocrisy and ignorance and cruelty is rampant. Mm -hmm. And so I immediately rebelled against the system and everything that I've been told. And this made me question other things that we'll get into later maybe, but I would just absolutely rip on my family until yeah. they kind of went in the other direction. And then they came back to the direction. I would just talk to them every day about, you know, what you're doing uh, when you are eating these products is, is really not what you would want to do. And it's horrible. And here's why. And you should know better and you should do better because you're my family and I care about you. <laughs> and I, I want you to live in accordance with your values as much as is practicable and possible. And so at the time, I wasn't a vegan. We were vegetarians. Uh, we all became vegetarians around the time that I was 12 and 13. I had my bar mitzvah speech, which, funny enough, was uh, the portion was re'eh, which is uh, about the laws of kashrut and the dietary restrictions of Jews. And of course, these laws were written at a time where it was a last resort that people would eat animals. It was like, if you need to survive, here's how you can do it in a way that is as humane and respects life as much as possible and is safe. It was really the first di ever dietary guidelines that um, humans had written. There were others, but uh, for Jews and for, for the faith, it was like, this is what the laws of kosher are here to do, is to guide you so that you can live a, a life of being kosher, and kosher means holy. So in that passage, they talk about why life is sacred, life is holy, and we should never take the life. Mm. Um, and when we take the life, of an animal, then it becomes really complicated. And that's why we have all these laws of kashrut and what a kosher slaughter looks like. And you have to drain the blood because the blood represents the life. And I simply said to people, listen, if the blood represents the life, and we know today that 
the life leaves when you take out the blood, we can avoid this situation by simply not taking life. And let's recognize that these laws were written at a time where people did not have access to alternatives. They were living meal to meal in many cases. There were unreliable harvests. These were pastoral, you know, <laughs> Semites from thousands of years ago. We live in a global economy where we have a massive variety of foods that we can enjoy instead of using animals. Um, so that was kind of my story. I'm sorry it was long-winded, but um, that's how I got into uh, the food system, and, and that's how I developed a passion for learning more about food and food policy, and, uh, and studying the impacts of our food choices was really from, from then, and also got me more interested in Jewish theology and uh, trying to understand how I relate to my faith and, and how we can reconstruct these laws, and obviously there are many <laughs> beliefs in the Bible, many passages in the Bible that we look back on today and we're like, hey, you know, slavery is wrong. <laughs> what about thou shall not kill? What happened to that? Right, exactly. There's a lot of contradicting uh, things in the Bible. So, you know, how do we, how do we live with that? And how do we make it make sense? How do we reconstruct the religion and these teachings in a global economy and in a world, in a modern scenario where we, we, uh, we're living in 2022. You know, we need to think differently than we can't just take the advice of uh, people from thousands of years ago. So absolutely not. And if we did, that would be kind of scary. I mean, I really think that the story that you just told about the sanctuary is, I think, what can be something that connects so many people to the vegan movement. Because really, at its core, all we're saying is just treat others with kindness. Like I think people have this misconception that vegans are angry and vegans are you know annoying and this is not but really when you just replace that word with be kind to others let's not harm animals it it isn't so bad after all right yeah. i mean i just took my dad and his girlfriend to skylands animal sanctuary which is right in jersey and they had never been up close to any of these animals similar to you when you were when you were 10 and myself either i grew up in the city so we ne i never saw farm animals mm -hmm. But just to see the connection that they were making, like right before my eyes, it was, it was so incredible because for years I have been trying to advocate and push them towards not only a healthier lifestyle, which they've jumped onto quicker, but an ethical lifestyle that aligns their morals with their actions. And part of the problem is people are participating in this barbaric industry, partly because other people are doing the dirty work for them. Mm -hmm. And being that you studied food systems, you can probably speak to the human rights aspect of it, where you have these people working in filthy, you know, unsanitary, really dangerous working conditions. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been to a few slaughterhouses across the country, and it's a lot of these workers have PTSD. They have substance abuse problems. They don't want to be doing these jobs, but some of them are illegal immigrants and don't have any other choice. Yeah. Um, it's it's an industry that relates to so many different issues. Yeah. So, can you talk a little bit about how after you made the connection, you then in school started studying food systems? Like you you mentioned before that eating animals is the worst allocation of resources 
at this moment in history. Yes. What does that mean? Well, definitely the meat industry. I want to focus and say the meat industry is, is the worst allocation of resources at the most pivotal moment in history. I, as you said, I was really curious just to understand and get into the meat industry. And uh, it, was, it, it was something that I really felt strongly I wanted to change. And so I said to myself, if I'm going to work on changing this, I should immerse myself in it so that I understand exactly what is happening. Um, and so some of that can be accomplished through research and being behind a computer. But I wanted to really be hands-on and, uh, and experience for myself what it is to be in a, in a factory farm and what it, what it is to be on the slaughterhouse floor, um, what it's like for those people, what it's like for those animals. And, and throughout the supply chain, <laughs> what is it doing to the land when you raise monoculture crops? I mean, along the way, I learned that this is the leading cause of deforestation globally is cutting down the Amazon and cutting down forests worldwide to grow crops that don't feed humans, but rather go into animal production. So, uh, so I put myself in that situation. Um, on a number of occasions, I would work um, in farms and, and I did an independent study that was in the process of writing my, my thesis paper around food security in the global village. Uh, so I worked in primarily in Colorado, but um, in some other locations as well in these farms and wow. got to, you know, take part in, in these processing facilities um, and interview farmers and interview the people who work there and, uh, you know, do things that were really horrible. It was important for me, even though I, from a moral standpoint, completely disagree with those actions that I took. It was an important part of really living it and, and, and seeing for myself what are these practices doing uh, to people and to the animals. And um, it wasn't pleasant, of course. How I, bad really is it? I don't think people truly understand what goes on. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. Um, I also was in the <laughs> slaughterhouses where they probably have the best standards for, um, for humane slaughter, quote unquote, humane slaughter. And um, so if, I'm <laughs> if those, which were like the industry leader for you know, best practices, if those were as bad as they were, um, I can only imagine what the, the worst ones are like. I was really shocked, uh, and I, as you as you touched on, this is a it's a social justice, it's a human rights issue, um, because the most vulnerable people are the ones who are caught and trapped in these industries, often in situations where they have no recourse. They are being forced to work and do labor that no other person, and including them, they don't want to do this. It's violent. It's inflicting violence and death on sentient beings, and they see the pain and suffering going on. And then that creates trauma and stress and depression, as you said, substance abuse and suicide. It's one of the industries that has the highest rates of um, mental illness because humans are, and I think you touched on this as well, it's like we are by nature compassionate people. I think there's this myth going around that we are killers and we are here to like dominate the environment. That's the worst of humanity. We have the capacity 
to do that, but we also have the capacity to bring peace and love to the world. And we are not, like, if you see the way a child reacts to being around an animal, that's what human nature is. We are inherently kind, compassionate beings that don't want to cause harm to others. And so I think it's, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, and of course, n nurture has a lot to do with this and like our social conditioning, that this is an accepted, normalized thing, plays a part in allowing us to continue something that we really don't agree with. But it was important, as I said, just to, to see and to do it myself to understand how I felt, how I related to this action, and all the other reasons that uh, I now believe we should be making this transition. It's actually, obviously, um, different now than it was. I mean, I got into it because of animals, and I still care deeply about justice for animals, and I also am doing this for environmental reasons, and I, I believe that you know, if we want to have a livable planet, as I said earlier, this is the most critical area for us to focus on um, more than the entire transportation sector and then that's not even considering the ripple effects of the deforestation that's just looking at it in terms of emissions and like the methane that our livestock are emitting accounts for more emissions than the entire transportation sector just think about the other impacts of cutting down the rainforest which are like a massive carbon sink or fishing in the oceans the oceans are the biggest lungs of the planet and they're on the verge of collapse so um, if we were to look at, look at it from a effective altruist perspective, which is like, what is the most effective actions we can take to preserve happiness and to increase the potential for life in the future? It's shifting our food systems, ending factory farming, and moving towards regenerative, sustainable, polyculture-based agriculture that nourishes humans and grows the soils, builds soil fertility, and will lead to a future that uh, is bright and enjoyable and clean and healthy for everyone. It has cascading benefits when we switch to plant-based. Will it be able to reforest around 70% of the current land used for agriculture, which is the number one way that we interact with the arable land on the planet? So there's so many wonderful benefits um, and that I came across that as well through my journey into food systems. Um, but it was fascinating and, and important, I believe, for me to be raising animals and uh, a part of processing and taking animal life um, because I now am 100% confident that is not something that I want to support and it's something that I believe in changing. And because there are all these stakeholders involved, people, animals, future generations on the planet, ecology in general, it reaffirmed my passion and dedication to uh, working in this arena. Yeah, I mean, it really does give you that credibility. Like myself as an animal rights activist, I, I go to these slaughterhouses and I witness it for myself to be able to accurately speak about what's going on inside these places, similar to what you were saying. But not only that, but to be able to have that credibility and understand for myself why I keep fighting, why I keep speaking up against this issue. So I guess the next question is, how did you turn this frustration and, you know, this, as, as somebody that was studying the food systems, as somebody that was going through that, to a business, to something that now you're really able to create that positive change? Yeah, it, it all started, this is a great question, and um, it began back in 
my college experiences, I was really starting to immerse myself in the professional world. Um, I, as I said, was doing these independent studies where I would work with farmers, um, both vegetable and animal farmers, to really get their perspectives on how do we move towards a more resilient local food economy. And simultaneously, how can we transition our industrial practices towards uh, you know, healthier outcomes? And so I was working on these farms for some summers, and then I was the first ever Beyond Meat marketing intern in the summer of 2013. And at that point, there were around 12 people working at Beyond Meat, and I had the amazing privilege of being able to you know, have lunch with Ethan Brown and, and this team of uh, change makers um, multiple times a week and, and working with them at a really early stage company that at the time there were only chicken strips and they were soy based. And since then their entire you know, portfolio of products has grown and improved in so many ways. Uh, but it gave me a, a look into this just emerging market. And it was really nascent at the time, super small niche audience, products that were not at all where they are today um, but people who really cared about it, a product that I saw a massive potential in, because if we can deliver people a product that has the exact same mouthfeel and nu nutrition, uh, it seems like, well, that's a huge opportunity. It's a huge market opportunity. It's a marketplace solution that is better for planet, better for people, uh, and better for animals. So it's just an easy choice. And uh, and again, that, that first experience at Beyond Meat really helped me to see the scale of change in those different approaches, right? The local reclaiming food systems for a community. And that can be in the cities with urban gardening and um, it can be returning to the farmer's markets and understanding how food is grown. There's so many important shifts that we should make at a local level. But we also have to recognize there's this massive industry of fast food and of meat production that we need to transition away from. And it's unrealistic to think that we can overnight just go back to farmer's markets and to supporting our local food system, which we should absolutely be doing. But simultaneously, we need to provide people with foods that are meeting their cultural and dietary and personal cravings and needs and, um, and are able to improve the food system at an industrial level simultaneously. And so that, uh, you know, to me was really compelling. And when I saw on an industrial level or at a systems level, how this product had the potential to really shift global resource use and again, reallocate those resources to the, the areas where they're needed and enable our planet to heal. I became really passionate about um, learning more about those alternatives and finding ways to to support that. Um, and it wasn't a clear path for me. I really loved working with an early stage Beyond Meat and uh, I got my father involved in it um, since he was then you know, uh, vegetarian and since then we've all transitioned to a vegan lifestyle. And uh, it was, you know, I should shout out my brother as well. He was really the one who was pushing us and saying, you know, we, we don't need to eat eggs. We don't, it was, that was really the last thing. We're like, well, we'll cage free. And then we just were like, you know what, this, is totally unnecessary. So yeah, so the further we, we kind of got into that as a family, um, it certainly shifted 
the course uh, of my profession and my younger, my youngest brother, Isaac, works for a company called Eclipse in Berkeley, which is producing a phenomenal plant-based ice cream. Oh, I don't think I should have, have him on the podcast okay. next because yeah, yeah, yeah. Eclipse is, is awesome. And so, yeah, that's really what we're, we're all interested in. Of course, the only real pushback that I've heard about Beyond Burgers and Impossible Burgers is the health aspect of it. And it annoys me so much because I'm like, you, you have no idea what you're, what's in that beef burger that you're eating. So can you just touch upon what really goes into a Beyond Burger? Is it really that bad? No. Okay. So that's a great question <laughs> and uh, really important for us to consider the component pieces. So uh, one of the things we hear most often at Plant Burger is, oh, this is a highly processed plant-based ingredient. Um, the reality is it's the same process as pasta goes through. And people eat pasta without hesitation. When you're eating pasta, you're eating a ingredient that has been heated, cooled, extracted, then put through an extruder. An extruder is a machine that gives it shape. So you end up with spaghetti or with fusilli or whatever kind of shape your pasta is. Beyond Meat is doing the exact same process to a variety of plant-based ingredients. And they take, for example, peas, and they're able to isolate the protein and then they're able to take beets and get the coloring from the beets and they take a variety it's just really simple they take a variety of plants take the things that they know are going to make them again nutritious and delicious blend them together and extrude them they give them different shapes that make them meaty and chewy and satisfying uh, I often talk about it from a component perspective because we look at meat as it's component pieces. So its main, main four components are there's trace minerals, really like small amount of trace minerals. It's primarily water, mostly water weight. And then there are fats. Those are lipids. And then there are proteins. Those are the amino acids. So those are the four components of meat. And all of those are abundantly, can be found in abundance in the plant kingdom. And by virtue of animals eating plants, it's quite clear that that's the source of the nourishment. So if we think about meat in terms of its components, we're eating meat. This is meat. It's just made from a source that didn't require <laughs> this incredibly wasteful and horrible death-filled system. You know, it's just coming from directly from the plants, which is more efficient and, and so much better for so many reasons. Um, when people say that, I think, uh, wow, the meat and dairy industries have done a really great job marketing and sowing doubt, um, but I think it's also like, it's something that fits into our preconceived notions. If you're someone who loves meat, you're going to be more inclined to believe that a plant-based alternative is bad for you because you heard it from a friend than actually questioning it and taking time to research it and get to the bottom of this. Um, but there have been numerous health studies conducted that show these products are a much healthier alternative than red and processed meats, which by the way, have been labeled as a class one carcinogen by the World Health Organization. Like, how is that not the topic of conversation? People are like, oh, it's not healthy. Hello, the alternative is carcinogenic. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, cancer causing, heart disease causing. Yeah, it just seems, <laughs> uh, you know, it seems frustrating and absurd, but that's part of the, the work here is the odds are stacked against us. Um, still more than 90% of people are so set in their ways and they're looking at 
these products as fringe and we need to mainstream them. That's what we're here trying to do. And uh, I have these personal beliefs, but you'll notice that it doesn't really show up too much in our marketing. We're not really talking about the problem. We're not, we're never accusing people. Rather, we're saying, you know, we have a, a better product. You're very it's inviting just, too. Yeah. Anybody can come here. I mean, you guys are smack right in the middle of where people work. I mean, you're also in Union Square and around the country, but people come here, they come for their lunch breaks, they're getting that taste, they're also not breaking the bank. I mean, the way that you guys have managed to keep your prices so low is like also strategic as well. Like you're, you're full after you eat, you feel good. And Beyond Meat is, it, it's, they've only gotten better even over time, I, I find. Like yeah. they're, you know, reformulating their product. Oh yeah, their food scientists are yes. every day in the lab really doing phenomenal work and I'm still, connected to the original team at Beyond Meat. So when I go back and I see them uh, innovating, I mean, it's really encouraging to know that we have some of the best scientific minds working on what I view to be one of the most important issues in, in, our, in our time, yeah. So let's, as we begin to wrap things up, I guess talk a little bit about what Eat the Change is it means to you and then the organization that you and your family created and what you're doing with that. Yeah, so Eat the Change is the call to action that we started out with at Plant Burger. And what it means is climate change is real, but so is our power to act. Our dietary choices really do matter when we consider the future of the planet. And for the first time ever in the history of food innovation, as we've said, it can be an upgrade rather than a sacrifice. So Eat the Change is our way of inviting the world to think about their food choices and to choose consciously. And that means reconnecting to ecology and to the impact of our choices, understanding it and making choices as far as is practicable and possible in our lives that align with our beliefs. Um, and uh, in my mind, it's something, something you said resonated with me earlier, that um, at its core, veganism is a philosophy that we all have. Every single person would agree with this statement. We should do our best to minimize the suffering and unnecessary death that we are causing, right? Like, no one is going to say, actually, we should be increasing the suffering. <laughs> no, of course not. Like, we all believe that fundamental principle of causing the least suffering, causing the least death, and being kind to others. Like, that's something we all can get behind. But we live in a world where we, uh, where, where the majority of people are um, against this idea of veganism because they don't connect it back to that really simple philosophy. Uh, and they view it as this extremist ideology that wants to take their freedoms, <laughs> right? So we need, to re we need to reframe it. And that's what Eat the Change is trying to do, is reframe this. You know, veganism doesn't have to be a sacrifice. Rather, it can be uh, a way of increasing the quality of your life through increasing the variety of foods you can eat, through increasing, you know, your personal health, through in improving your environmental footprint. Eat the Change uh, as a statement is, is, is really about um, inviting people to be climate activists through their food choices. And, uh, and to recognize the power and the, the positive power that that choice holds um, to heal the world, to heal ourselves, and to construct 
a more just, plentiful, and resilient food system for ourselves and for future generations. So well said, so well said. And I really, I find that myself has, I've eaten more variety, I felt better. I feel that I'm doing something that aligns with my morals, better for, for the planet, as you were saying. And I mean, how can people support Planet Burger? How can they find you? I know that you have locations in certain Whole Foods, also in New York. How can people get more involved? Yeah, so um, definitely on social media. That's one way. If you live in California, we don't currently have outlets in California, um, but follow us on social media to see the things we're doing um, and to share the story and the mission with your friends and family and, and, and be a part of our community on social. That would be great, would mean the world to us. If you are located in the East Coast, you probably have access to a plant burger. Uh, we have two locations in Massachusetts, Two in New York, we're sitting in our second New York location, which has an upper level. We're in the mezzanine level. Um, these are our two brick and mortars as well. The rest of our locations are inside of Whole Foods. We have a great partnership with Whole Foods. So we have two locations outside of Philly and Pennsylvania. Uh, we have two in Virginia, two in DC, and three in Maryland. Um, we are a startup, so we launched the first plant burger in September of 2019. Uh, and since then, you know, we've been going through this complicated journey. Uh, of course, we had to deal with the pandemic. We've opened 12 locations since that first location. Um, so today we have 13, and we're really proud to be continuing to grow and serve more people. So if you're li listening to this and, and wondering where you can fit into the equation, it's just by enjoying delicious burgers. It's that easy and simple. Like We serve delicious burgers, um, arguably the best burgers on the planet and for the planet. Yeah. And the chicken sandwiches. And chicken sandwiches are amazing. Insane. And great milkshakes. Oh, Amazing yes. milkshakes. Again, it's it's about our mission. Uh, while we say eat the change is our, our tagline, our mission is to bring people joy, to bring joy to the world, um, which is also in scarce supply and, and very important to bring people joy. And we can bring people joy through delicious foods that they're already in love with. Um, their favorite comfort foods can bring them joy. And we can do this in a way that respects and celebrates all life on the planet. The other core values I'll just mention briefly is to act with intention, to connect to the source, and to create positive change together. And that means expanding the audience. Uh, it brings me great joy and satisfaction to serve a vegan, a delicious, juicy burger. But it brings me, I don't want to say more, but it brings me a lot of, of gratification when I'm able to serve an omnivore a delicious burger that blows their mind and changes their perception of what plant-based food is. You're advocating through food. Through deliciousness. It's, it's just about serving people delicious, delicious food. That's the gateway. The mouth is the gateway and the experience is the gateway to their hearts and minds. And once you're enjoying a delicious burger that's made of plants, you're automatically going to be more willing to understand and listen to the um, myriad reasons why this transition makes good sense for you. So we use taste and we use the experience uh, as a way of creating systemic change, but it also, um, you know, we can't have this impact unless we exist as a business and we grow as a business. So that's what we're up to every day. We gotta take over the world. And honestly, people like you really, you give me hope for this movement because some days I wake up and I'm like, 
holy crap, like millions of animals are about to be killed today. And it's this like horrible sadness that comes over me and this helplessness. And, you know, I was walking home the other day and everywhere I turned, everywhere I looked, it was like somebody talking about what chicken wings they're ordering for dinner. It was another girl taking a picture with her ice cream. It was a billboard for that KFC chicken, whatever. And I'm just like, this is on a walk home. Like, I can't even walk home without being offended by this, like, horrible violence. It's insane. So, <laughs> that being said, as you can see, I get very frustrated by it. People like you really give me hope and, and make me optimistic. Because I think to a certain extent with any sort of social justice movement, you have to have some sort of optimism that we will win yeah. one day. We will have to win unless we just want to keep driving the planet into the ground. But yeah, yeah. I mean, thank you for all that you're doing. You and your dad, your, your brother, your family. I mean, this is, this is where change is happening. Yeah, and um, just, just uh, to that point, you know, it can be really overwhelming when you consider, A, the scale of the atrocities that are happening every day, B, the conditioning, the social conditioning that we've all been raised to accept this as standard practice, C, the fact that many of the people who we work and live with and consider friends are also complicit in this and even will defend it, that all can be maddening. <laughs> make you feel like you're crazy. I, I go crazy all the time. Yeah. But the important thing to remember is that you're not crazy. You're a compassionate person. <laughs> we are on the right side of history. And we the reason we're here is because we're open-minded people who questioned the status quo. And we questioned the things that we saw around us that we knew something was wrong. And... Um, while it can seem overwhelming, the scale of these problems, what keeps me optimistic and positive is knowing that, um, as Martin Luther King said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Things cannot continue as normal as we've been doing them. Uh, every day, more and more people are learning about these systems and are asking important questions. Every day, people like you and me are having important conversations with other people. Every day in this restaurant, we're winning over omnivores. I was here last night and we served these two guys who came in skeptical as hell. And I was just excited that they were like, at least you're open-minded enough to come in and give us a try, even if it's just to like rip us online. But they loved it. And it blew their minds that they were eating plants. And to see them smile was a massive win. Like, we got to take those wins. We got to celebrate every win. Every time we serve a chicken nugget, every time we serve a burger, that is, in my mind, one animal life that we just saved. And it means the world to, to the animals who have no voice that we, you know, I think it's, it's funny in my mind that, like, we're doing this for creatures that we can't necessarily communicate with, but it's not just for them. I mean, there's other reasons, but uh, those, those small actions, those small transitions, and incrementally growing the movement to encompass more people and more omnivores embracing plant-based alternatives is what is going to result in the 
greatest systemic changes. And so even if people aren't 100% of the way there, encouraging them and celebrating the awesome things that happen when they choose plant-based, I view as the way to stay sane mm -hmm. <laughs> and continue to grow the movement because it's pivotal that we do this. And hopefully one day this will just be the norm and people that want to order animal products will have to specify that they want a chicken's leg or whatever. And they should have to pay more because those products cost a whole lot more. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you <laughs> so much for coming on. This is, I think, one of the best interviews I've ever had. I mean, just your story. I hope that I, I did it justice because you just, everything that you spoke about, it, it's such a journey that you had and like, it's very inspiring to say the least. And so I hope this was helpful for everybody listening. Please check out Plant Burger, P-L-N-T. Some people say planet, right? Plant yeah. It's intentionally ambiguous. So the P-L-N-T, um, as you said, it stands for plant, planet, and plenty. And it's tied into our mission statement, empowering more people to embrace delicious plant-based alternatives to create a more just and plentiful food system for all and a healthier planet for future generations. You can call it Plenty Burger, you can call it Planet Burger, you can call it Plant Burger, you can call it Plant Burger. It's all of those things. I love that, it's all of those things, you guys. So please, if you're in New York City, check it out. If you're in Maryland, I think you said DC, Boston mm -hmm. area, mm -hmm. check it out, East Coast, you're taking it. You over. can download the Plant Burger app. You'll get $5 off your first order. You can order for pickup or for delivery. And yeah, we, uh, we look forward to eating the change with you. Eating the change, all right. Thanks, guys, bye. Thank you, Jamie.